guys and girls and everybody. This is Lissa Mandel from the Bitch Seat Podcast. As some of you may know, we are a part of the Atlantic Transmission Network, which is a network that puts out all kinds of great podcasts. A great way to support our show and our sister shows is to visit theatlantictransmission.com and click on the Amazon link at the top of the homepage. It's all the same great Amazon stuff at the same great price, but we get a small piece for sending you there. So if you want to keep shows like The Bitch Seat going, keep us happy, then, uh, you know, throw in your pennies. You don't even have to pay anything extra. It doesn't matter if you're ready. We're... Hey, camper. How you doing? Who's drinking their Boku juice box right now? Did you have those? I, I had them, and then I no longer had them because they taste like craft stores. Yeah, I think that was a thing that my mom didn't get because too much sugar. I think juice boxes in general the were... The Boku juice boxes were weird. They were weird. Old, They were big. They were like plus size juice yeah, boxes. Yeah, but they had a weird flavor to them, and I didn't appreciate them. Maybe it was just a fruit that you didn't know. I know apples. <laughs> oh, I know apples. Welcome to the bitch seat. Yes, hello. Um, business up top, party on the bottom. Uh, we have a live show coming up in Los Angeles at Nerd Melt. March 24th at 7 p.m. Please mark your calendars. Check uh, it out. We will release the uh, the guest list uh, soon. Um, and it will be very exciting because all the exciting people live here. No offense, New York. But there are a lot of exciting. It's like, a, it's like. All the miserable people live like in New York. It's like walking into a brand <laughs> new toy store coming here. Yeah. You know, because I feel like we got pretty well acquainted with the toy store that was New York. And uh, had a pretty good lay of the land in terms of like the you know the different cool people that we could know, and I'm not yeah. saying that we know. Well, it was kind of like a flea market Tupperware bin filled with broken action figures. That was the that was the toy store of New York. Ouch. Yeah, but hey, exciting because you never know what you're going to find in there. That's true. You LA, never know. LA, it's kind of more like a well organized like by color uh, and room of the house, like the container store. You kind of know where to look. Yeah. To meet the new people. But then you're also like, why am I going to pay $25 for like an old Venom action figure? These are the pros and cons of Los Angeles. I, I mean, guess. he's not even, anyway, whatever. Uh, so, so Phil. Yo. Um, today on the show, we're going to have somebody very important to us because he introduced us to each other. That's right. Um, he is uh, writer Matt Freed and, uh, and he will be here in a moment. Um, but uh, before that. We're going to have a little throwback to uh, to Satin 2. Starring Christy Swanson. It's always starring Christy Swanson. Because the first one You're stars yelling. Kim Cattrall. And then this one stars Christy Swanson, as is at Mannequin and Mannequin 2. Got you. Okay. That's why. I've explained this joke. That's the only movie with a sequel. It's There's many movies with sequels, but there's the quality drop-off is immense. You know? But except for, like, the Back to the Future franchise that they stayed strong right so i'm saying why can't satin 2 be starring biff <laughs> biff as president donald biff trump as old biff donald trump biff normal biff <laughs> and stupid biff from the uh who's now been tamed and castrated by george mcfly that's the best biff yes cuck biff <laughs> <laughs> And so concludes any use of that word you will ever hear on the bitch seat. Hey, Lissa. Yeah. What's the date of your diary entry? The date of my diary entry today is Saturday, September 
1995. Hey, you know what was going on at the time? What was going on at the time, Phil? My brother was a newborn baby. Aw, Nick Cassell. I was very excited, but also very sad because I knew I was getting heavier and going back to school. And you all... (laughs) And then you also knew that you were suddenly the middle child. Yeah, but I knew that I had, I've seen, at that time I knew what a middle child was, and I knew that I had 11 years of being the baby. So I was like, that's good. So you were ready to step up. I was ready to step up, and I was excited to have a brother, uh, because I could train him to not hate me. And you know what? You've trained him quite well, because he dresses just like you, he has a beard when you have a beard, he's got the same haircut, he likes the same shoes you do, it's pretty cute. We have nearly the same leather jacket. I mean, he got, I mean, that truth be told, that was engineered by him. He also looks just like you. It's weird. Um, the only thing is he hasn't discovered marijuana yet, so he still is kind of right wing. Yeah, but you know what? We're going to pray for him. Pray. That, to I'm gonna move pray. in the green direction. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to pray that he, uh, yeah, he discovers something. Somebody, somebody help him. Uh, Anything else about uh Oh, 95 yeah. that uh, you want to bring to light? Well, the number one song at the time was You Are Not Alone by Michael Jackson. Oh, and God. Lisa Marie uh, standing next to him. Um, <laughs> and they said it wouldn't last. Uh, wah, wah. The other movie at the time that was very exciting uh, was Mortal Kombat, which still stands to this day as the best video game movie. You know, I always confuse Mortal Kombat with Street Fighter. Am I alone in that? Uh, no, because Street Fighter is stupid. Mortal Kombat was the Street best Fighter one. Too. I beat Mortal Kombat, okay? I beat Mortal Kombat too, Using my own wits and not Game Genie. I didn't use Game Genie. Me neither. Why would you say that? Did you ever play the Addams Family game on Sega Genesis? I did, and the sounds were hilarious, but I never... I only played Sega Genesis when I was at a friend's house or my cousin's house. Oh, that's how it was for me and Nintendo. We, 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 by the time we finally broke my mother down to buying us a gaming system, Sega was like the super new one on the market. So that's what we got. Yeah. Sega's um, great though. I wish I had Sega. Their Ghostbusters game is the best Ghostbusters game. Oh, I never played it. It's cool because, uh, they like the NES Ghostbusters game is frustratingly bad. Um, the Sega game is awesome because their heads are big. So you like know which one's which. Is that the only reason the game is better? (laughs) No, because you get different kinds of like uh, proton pack lasers and the levels are really, they're fun. Anyway, I, uh, you know, know, the grass is always greener. Uh, Desperado also came out at the time starring Antonio Banderas. Uh, Oh, remember when he was like in the spotlight? He was having a good time in the 90s. Yeah, Yeah. man. Assassins. He's great in Assassins. He's Mm -hmm. a maniac. Uh, He'd be a great Joker. If they ever wanted oh, totally. to flip the script there. Hey, but, has Javier Bardem ever been a bad guy in anything? A, yeah. Well, no, he in a lot of things, but he's never been a bad guy. He's never been in a Batman movie, has he? No, but I feel like that could change. But also that guy's played cartoonish bad guys in numerous things. And I, I feel like his his skills would be better. Uh, he would be better suited as not a villain. If I were casting it, I would make him Clayface. Um because Clayface kind of has a tragic story that is twisted up and and making him into a villain because he's he's damaged and he well I mean the animated I don't know what series Clayface ver- is so you've don't lost worry me. about it uh, the animated <laughs> series version of Clayface that's how I would that's what I would do with Javier Bardem absolutely <laughs> or, or Two Face he'd be a great Two Face he would be a great Two Face but also he already did that with the coin he already did that with uh, No Country so. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I actually think that he can't really surpass the No Country character. No. That's kind of the height of the creepiness that Javier Bardem. Yeah, and he was out. a good Bond villain, but I think he was he was misserved by uh, CGI and 
some other stuff. Whatever. I you yeah, know what? producer gotta, Veronica is agreeing with that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. Let's uh let's continue. Also, Babe. Babe, starring James Cromwell as not Babe. Babe like the pig? Yeah. Okay. But there was like a surplus of animal talking animal movies in the nineties. Can we just talk about that for a second? Why was that? so prominent because there was Milo and Otis, which was like the original. And yes, a lot of animals were harmed and died in the making of that movie. Many. Um, they were just wantonly thrown off cliffs. And then there was homeward bound. And when people saw that, they were like, Oh my God, they're talking. And I'm like, you don't know. Milo and Otis was the original. Yeah. <sighs> Duh. And then also, uh, air bud air, bud, I didn't see it. I just, I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> I, c- I couldn't be budded. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> we, we also had babe and babe, was great because whenever Access Hollywood or Extra would try and flaunt out Babe, he just got fatter and didn't look like the Babe on camera. So you were like, oh. The pig? Yeah. Pigs are smarter than humans. Yeah, they are. And they also can orgasm for like three hours. What? Yeah, dude. Both genders? I think so. Damn. Yeah, man. We're doing it wrong. We are. But also, if we were pigs, we would be cut up and uh, turned into bacon. I kind of have issues with bacon. I'm sorry. Can we get to the diary entry? <laughs> Wait, we no. We have to discuss your issues with bacon because it's already cut up. So it's I'm not saving any pigs by not eating it. <laughs> no, if you don't put your money toward bacon, they will make less bacon. That's how it works with you voting with your wallet. But I'm not putting my money towards bacon if I go to a if I go to a hotel that has a free breakfast and they have piles of bacon. I'm putting my money towards the hotel. But if fewer people eat those piles of bacon, then they'll be like, oh, I guess people. We don't need to buy as much bacon. But people are never going to stop eating bacon. You don't understand. They're, bacon is on this this crest of success. Do you think that the reason it tastes so good is because the pigs are so smart? And part two of that question, do you think that human bacon would be really delicious? I think we should find out one day, but like not tell anyone. <laughs> good plan. If there's a way that we could do that. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. We're cannibals. Okay. Saturday, September 2nd, 1995. Dear Satin 2. As I sat in my dad's car on the way home today, the rhythmic pulse of the music throbbing around me, I thought about all kinds. I thought about all of the kinds. Oh, things. I thought about all of the things about me that were good. I had been dancing for six years, now one of the top in my class. I was a soprano singer who had gone to Rhode Island with the select chorus. I was a straight-A student in academics, and I was very artistically talented. A shiver of pride ran tingling through my body. I was nearly perfect, but at the same time, I felt more depressed than I'd ever felt before. There was something missing in my busy life, a boyfriend. My entire life, my emotional side has grown twice as fast as my physical side. Just my luck that Tim wasn't on my team this year. The only time I see him is chorus, while Shelley is in nearly every class with him. That's not fair. Speaking of fair, the Guilford Fair is coming up really soon. Who were you advertising for? I was so great at segues. I was meant to be a stand-up. I was writing segues. I think you you were meant to plug products on podcasts too. Speaking of fairs, yeah. Stamps. Hey, uh, does Casper or Stamps.com or MeUndies want to support this podcast? We could, we could do. We're gonna get there. Solid support with we'll MeUndies. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Uh, I'm sending out my bat mitzvah invitations on October 1st, which is less than a month away, and I hardly know. And I hardly know anyone on my team. All of the popular guys, except Jeff and PJ, are on other teams and have forgotten about me. What am I going to do? I want to invite the same number of boys as girls, but there aren't any boys that I know who also know me. Oh, God, it's so sad. 
<laughs> I knew who everybody was. I studied my yearbooks after hours. Did you ever do that? Like, I would sit in my no. rocking chair pouring over people's faces no. for hours. Because people were jerk-offs to me. Why would I ever want to get to know oh, them? Oh, they completely ignored me. No idea who I was, but I knew who all of they were. All of them? I knew who all of them. they were. <laughs> Forget it. Uh, what am I going to do? I want to invite the same number of boys as blah, 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 blah. I hope that I know my team a bit better by the end of the month. School is not bad. Mr. Hartley is short with big ears. Sometimes he pretends to be serious, but is actually just kidding. Sort of like Mr. Harvey. Adam, wait, 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 wait. Mr. Hartley and Mr. Harvey yeah, I were had, both serious, but they were also kidding. Yeah. So Mr. Harvey was my science and homeroom teacher in sixth grade. And he was very like he had been in the military earlier in his life, but he was kind of an older dude. And when he wrote on the blackboard, it was like he was it was like he was like punching the blackboard with his chalk very quickly over and over and over again. And I was really scared of him at first, but it turned out he just had a really, really dry sense of humor. Mr. Hartley was my seventh grade science and homeroom teacher. Um, and he was way more of a ham than Mr. Harvey. They were both hams. I had great teachers. They liked me. What can I say? Uh, Adams, Adams is the name of the junior high where mm. I did 7th and 8th grade. Adams is made up of four floors, and I have classes on three of them. There are no ramps. Only the 8th graders have AC. I spend more time going up and down stairs than I do in class. So far, our teachers have been easy on us, and there's been no major homework. After each school day, I come home exhausted, and remember, this is without the work. I'm sure I'll adjust quite quickly. Life is good. Love, LMM. Just completely. Just good, except you don't have a boyfriend, so you fail society's you know, uh, expectations really, of women to have I boyfriends. I disappoint myself. It's so sad. I feel like nobody in my life told me that I didn't need a boyfriend to be happy until it was way too late for me to hear that advice. You needed an adult to tell you that. You didn't. Yeah, that's a shame. I didn't, but I had a very nice nuclear family with parents who were still married, and so that's true. I wanted to be married. That's true. I uh, I want to offer a retraction. I. When I said I, I didn't look at the yearbook, that was a lie because I definitely looked at the yearbook for some people. Uh, that's about, that's all I Oh, I, so I would look at the year, like all the pages of people's faces, even that weren't in my grade. I don't know. I just, this is before the internet. This is before the internet. I spent hours looking at people's faces and I know, knew what everybody's name was. And then I would see them in person walking through the halls and I would know who they were, but nobody had any it's like a idea Facebook, who I was. A book of faces. It was the it, yeah it was it was, Facebook. it was Facebook before Facebook yeah um but what good did that do like I studied even when I didn't need to be studying I studied everything I memorized yep. everything I drew all over my yearbooks uh, in a in a way that betrayed how I actually was feeling where it seemed like I was a cool kid who was enjoying this whole thing but I actually was not at all it was kind of funny but nobody know. saw those drawings but you nope so who was I lying to. <laughs> Lissa, who was I lying to? Philip, I couldn't tell you that. Well, let's, uh, listen, this is going to be fun for you because our guest today is also from New Jersey. So I'm sure we're going to go down a lot of Jersey holes. And we're about to go down a deep Jersey hole right now. So, yes, uh, listeners, uh, Matt Freed has been um, our producer here on the West Coast for our live shows at Nerd Melt uh, for a couple of years. Um, and he's a writer and he introduced me and Phil. So you have him to thank, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Matt Freed. All right. All right. So, so you, Matt Freed is hanging outside 7-Eleven 
with his backpack on because school just got out. Yeah, and he's kind of, he's tapping his toes. He's looking around. People are coming and going. He's watching them all. But they pass right by. Yeah, because they know he doesn't really hang out there all the time. He just hangs out there after school to be cool. But not really because he has, like, plans. Right. Like he, yeah, he's not, like, just one of those, like, all the time 7-Eleven kids. No, he's like, I know this is where the cool kids hang out, so I'm going to come here for a second and just kind of check out what they do. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to drink this uh, bottle of Mountain Dew, and I'm going to eat this pack of uh, peanut butter crackers. And, uh... Yeah. And, oh, I spilled some on my No Fear shirt. But I'm okay. I'm okay. It's all cool. Hi, Matt. Hey. Hi, guys. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. <laughs> that introduction. First off, I want to say thank you for introing me with Prove It All Night off of uh, one of my favorite You're Springsteen welcome. albums. Yeah. yeah. I actually have that album in vinyl. Too. Beautiful. Nice. Vintage vinyl. That's uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town? That is Darkness on the Edge of Town. That's my favorite of his. Uh, even the B-sides are fucking yeah. terrific. Yeah. It's an, it's an incredibly well done album, and it's interesting how... It's so widely beloved, like like it has such it had such commercial success. But if you really stop and you listen to that whole record, like it is a it is a record that has like a couple fun songs on it, but a lot of the songs are about like very deep existential soul searching of, yes. of one way or another. So Matt, how old were you when you started listening to that? Well, I would probably say I was about maybe fifteen or sixteen years old. I got into Springsteen in high school. Um, oh, it took you that long. It huh? took me that long because it's a, it's a long story, but basically, uh, so I grew up, so I was, I was born in Philadelphia and I lived, um, with just me and my mom for a couple of years because my dad died when I was really young. And then she eventually met my stepfather, which was more or less how we ended up in Jersey when I was 13. And it was right around that time. You didn't move to Jersey till 13? Till I was 13, yeah. I huh. lived in I lived in uh, the city proper, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, in Fairmount, what, what, just north of the, <laughs> just north of the art museum and the Rocky Steps and all that stuff. And um, then when I moved to Jersey, um, that was right around the time that I discovered my dad's old record collection. So I was oh. going through, and by the grace of God, we didn't have a record player because it was 96 at that time. Mm -hmm. But my dad, God love him, um, had recorded all of his records to tapes to listen to tape decks That's in the car. amazing. So he did all of this for you before he passed away. Well, he did it all for himself, but he left them. My mother held on to the collection because she had a feeling that maybe I would want to go through it one day. That's awesome. So like, I literally, I discovered the Beatles, the Stones, the Doors, Buffalo Springfield, like all those guys by, by culling through my dad's old record and tape collection. And then it was kind of just by happenstance that my mom got me a Bruce Springsteen greatest hit CD when I was in freshman or sophomore year of high school. Mm -hmm. And I started listening to that. And that's when I went back to my dad's stacks and I found um, Darkness on the Edge of Town, Born to Run, The River, Greetings from Asbury Park. And then it was just, I mean, Springsteen's like an acquired taste. It's like you like you like him a lot at first, and then the longer you live with him in your life, like a lot of his songs just kind of, they yep. speak to you on a deeper, more You're profound level. You're talking about yeah. Springsteen as if he is Jesus. I'm just going to put it yeah, out there. He is Jesus. Because <laughs> he, he covers such a wide range, a wide emotional spectrum uh, of feelings that are very close to us because you see... New Jersey is so dense. Yes. You see everything. Mm -hmm. You don't just see happy suburbia because around the corner, 
there's the fucking VA bar or some shitty bar where there's generally cops there. Usually. Yeah, you see yeah. people's like, like the, the, you see the seedy underbelly you of everything. See everything. Yeah, because the mafia mafia corruption runs so deep in that state yep. um, that it's like if it's not in Camden, New Jersey, it's in Newark, New Jersey, or it's you know in the lower it's in the lower parts of the state house yep. of Trenton, or it's you go up to Patterson and there's a place where all the guys quote unquote hang out at you know mm-hmm. every like Thursday and Friday night right while they're in between getting their quote-unquote business done. So mm-hmm. it's everywhere. It's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. You know? There's 12-gallon drums on the side of the road that may contain a body. Maybe. Maybe. We still don't know where Jimmy Hoffa is, although there's reason to believe that he's probably buried under a parking lot where Giant Stadium used to be. Nice. <laughs> I, you know what? You I, know, hope, uh, I hope that guy can rest in peace. I hope they never find him. Just so, you know, he can get some quiet. Yeah, I feel quiet. like, and you guys can both address this because you both grew up uh, in Jersey, Um, but I feel what, can you talk about the pride of people? Cause I feel like people who grew up in New Jersey, they know all the corruption, they know all the bad stuff about it. Um, but they, they have this, this swelling heart, Mm. uh, about, and, and nostalgia about that place. And what is it? Mm. Um, it's, 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 it's a little diversified because first off, are if you're from South Jersey, it's a pride that's also directly associated with Philadelphia. And mm-hmm. if you're from North Jersey, it's a pride that's somehow associated with, with New, New York, York City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, but there is, you know, there's pockets all over the state where there's people who are like, no, Jersey, yeah. 100%. Like Chris Gethard, I think, is probably mm-hmm. a very proud mascot yeah. solely for the state of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's there's beauty. You just have to understand that it's there with a bunch of other shit. But also, like, the conglomeration of everything makes it a, a, a human state. It's an ugly state, but it's also very beautiful inside. The, it's called the Garden State. But mm-hmm. we only know it for the outside aspects, which is the freeways, the airports, the smell of the mm-hmm. swamp. Secaucus. 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 Um, we only know it from the outer boroughs, which unfortunately smell. But the deep inside of it, you see all this lush green and everything is in it. Everything you could possibly need. You have terrific pizza. Mm-hmm. You have great Italian food. Great Across the board, Italian food, not just the, you know, let's throw some cheese marinara on it. It's But I'm not just talking about, like, the physical, like, beauty or lack thereof. I'm talking about this um, tribal, almost, like, tribal pride. Uh, and and is it because of the particular groups of, of immigrants who yes. settled the state? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, well, Jersey is also um, an incredibly diverse state mm-hmm. as well. So I think there's a lot of tribalism there. Like, I remember when I was studying Spanish in high school, like my junior year, I remember um, hearing a statistic quoted from, I think it was the census, but my Spanish teacher said, like, that New Jersey actually has one of the largest Cuban immigrant, like, Cuban expatriate immigrant populations in Mm -hmm. all the United States of America. We also... Indian. Yeah. Indian. Edison. Yeah. Oh, I know. Edison is... I remember uh, a really good friend of mine growing up... um, Randy, she showed me her yearbook in high school, and there were like eight pages of Indians, and four of those pages were Patels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a lot of the fact that, like, Jersey, despite its national um, identity in any way, it's the state where the American dream lives and flourishes in a lot of different ways. Like, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, it's a, depending on what part of the state that, you live in, it can be reasonably affordable or it can be a little bit more on the expensive side. Basking Ridge. Basking Ridge. Um, That's where the cops left me after I flipped him off by accident. (laughs) (laughs) 
And it's not a bad place to get left. Nope, but. it was a Dunkin' Donuts. It was open 24 hours. <laughs> I was fine. Um, the state offers, they have some of the best education in the entire United mm-hmm. States yep. of America. Um, they have an incredible amount of tech schools there. There's a lot of manufacturing and there's a lot pharmaceutical. of pharmaceutical industry. Like there's a ton of, there's a ton of work a lot of in industry. a lot of, in a lot of different sectors. So it really is a state where you can go there and a lot of, I think there's a lot of middle-class success waiting for you there. Mm. Um, which is also, which just so that I'm not completely focused solely on my white privilege in any way, like it's also a state where there's you know, a lot of people rise and a lot of people fall from grace really, really quickly. Oh, yeah. Jim McGreevy. Is, Fuck, former yeah. Governor Jim McGreevy is a uh, is is one guy to think about. And the thing is that those stories about him breaking his leg at the ski lodge, like I knew that shit before he came out because that was like Can you contextualize this for listeners who right. don't know? Jim McGreevy was the governor of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. He kind of plunged the state into kind of something of a deficit yeah. when we had a surplus uh by because of Christy Whitman. She yeah. kind of, she brought, she propped the state up. We had a good time. McGreevy comes in, kind of fucks it all up a little bit, but also he comes out of the closet uh, at a time when uh, that wasn't a thing that happened on a weekly basis. Right. This is like 2003, 2000. So this yeah. is early. Yeah, yeah. But he, people knew this and it was never talked about. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a guy in my town who, uh, my former town, who has been, uh, uh, I'm not going to name any names. Don't. But Don't uh, maybe somebody related to me might have <laughs> might have had uh, kept his wife entertained uh, in a squad car a few times uh, that I know who I'm blood related to. Okay. Because of that, like you didn't talk about that, but he fell from grace because it was a, a time where he was in hot water. This comes out, and it was like, whatever. Uh, I guess here we go. And now he's he's an advocate for. I think he. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's doing. Honest. I like looked him up a while back, but it didn't stick. But he, he, it's it's also worth mentioning just to add a little bit of extra context. So like he did, he took over from Christy Todd Whitman. There were a lot of people who were excited that he was taking over because obviously at the time it was 2003. People were looking ahead to the 2004 election. They wanted to get Bush out. And then he kind of, he wasn't, he was a good, not great governor for the state, and then and he had a lot more problems than solutions. And then his revelation of coming out of the closet came on the heels of carrying on like a year-long affair behind yes. his wife's back yes. with one of his aides in his office. And he he busted his leg on a ski trip, and he had to be helicoptered out. That was the excuse. The reason why he had to be helicoptered out and no one talked about it is because his lover was there with him. Every here's the but that's the thing about New Jersey is that like you can uh, you could have kept secrets and it was common knowledge. The fact that it became public knowledge, it, he was suddenly shunned. So there is some hypocrisy. Right. So for that. there's there's I feel like there is kind of in the way that that maybe people in New Jersey like yell at each other a lot. It comes from love. It's mm. this kind of like oxymoronic way of living. So like there's a lot of corruption in New Jersey and people are cool with it. Just don't like shout it from the hilltops. We're all cool. We all know what's going on. Yeah, you know, yeah, pretty much. Um, but le- I want to I want to bring it to a more personal place with you, which is okay. <laughs> how um, when you were. OK, so you moved from Philadelphia to New Jersey mm-hmm. and then Haddonfield, New Jersey, Haddonfield, uh, which is where. A Charlie Brown apocalypse took place in the. It, it takes place in the town. It takes place in the town next to Haddonfield, which I called anonymous New Jersey. In right. The Charlie Brown. Apocalypse. Right. Right. Yeah. This is a play that that Matt wrote in which Phil played the Charlie Brown character and I played the Peppermint Patty character. Yeah. Um, were you 
uh, were you tuned in to any of the current events or the political stuff going on, or were you a kid who was not interested in that at all? Did it affect your life? Oh, it affected my life all the time. Um, so I grew up without cable TV or any of that stuff mm -hmm. as a kid. Um, so all the stuff that kids were into at the time, like MTV, what may have been on Comedy Central at that time, like all of that, I got all that information, secondhand knowledge. And of course, you know, we had the internet at the time, but the internet is certainly not the the community that it is now in terms of right. video sharing and clips and all that stuff. Right. So if there was an incendiary episode of um, South Park or if something crazy had happened at the MTV VMAs, the only way that I was going to find out about it was reading from my subscription of Rolling Stone or Spin Magazine or like maybe catching like a highlight reel of it at, on like some end of the year show on mm -hmm. like an, on like NBC, like headline news or something. So in my house, there was a lot of copies of time and Newsweek, mm -hmm. um, just kind of lying around a lot. Uh, my dad was a huge Doonesbury fan. So I, he oh, literally, so how it, droll. yeah. So in addition to all this music he left behind, I kid you not, he left behind all these vintage collections of Newsbury comic, Doonesbury comic strips, from the 70s. Oh, wow. So like that's basically how I would read I would read and learn American history, but that's also how I understood the context of why things were ha were playing out the way that they oh, were playing out. Like I found out about the word honky from uh from an arc from like a week long arc in a Doonesbury comic oh, wow. because I don't it, it's been so long since I thought about the, those characters, but basically a friend, a, a friend of one of the main characters who the friend was African-American had this boyfriend and this was like written in like 1974 or so. So like the boyfriend basically had like just seen like Superfly or mm -hmm. something like that. And he was trying to model his life like that. And he kept walking around calling white people honky all mm -hmm. the time. And there was the the thing was that it was kind of almost like an all in the family type joke where it's like, oh, yeah, he just calls all white people honky and we just kind of ignore it. And then I had to, like, ask my mom, I'm like, what's a honky? And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> We're talking about this now. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, that's what black people came up for as their answer to the N-word for us, pretty right. much. And mm -hmm. it's like, oh, but that's not, no, it's not. No, it's just keep, just keep reading. Just, that's, that's the joke they're going for. Just move on with your life, pretty much. Interesting. So, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I, uh, when I saw Doonesbury comics when I was younger, I had no idea what was going on. I was so yeah. sheltered. I was just like, this guy's got a beak nose and, uh, and he seems real smart about stuff, but I had no idea what was going on. Is he the guy that's kind of Hunter S. Thompson looking? Uh, yeah, that is, oh man. We never really had the funny Unc papers. Uncle, no, we didn't either. Uncle Duke is who, it was Uncle Duke who was, of course, who was Raul basic, Duke. Raul Duke, who was basically Hunter S. Thompson. And he had a nephew named Zonkers or Bonkers, one of the two. And he was this hippie that the main character, Mike Doonesbury, met on like his first week of college when they all went to Yale together. And and Zonkers was essentially he was he was a, he was a hippie burnout. He was basically like imagine a more attractive, likable version of the dude from The Big Lebowski. And He's he was, already the most likable person that there is, but, though. But imagine him like twenty years younger when every woman wanted to fuck him. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah. Like that's basically what what bonker or bonkers or zonkers was. Mm -hmm. So like 
he was basically the hip, the weird hipster best friend that just hung out with like Mike Doonesbury all the time and just smoked weed all the time. I need and to go back laid. and revisit Doonesbury. I had no Same. idea that I, I didn't understand I, it when I was looking at it. Yeah, we didn't get funny pages because we got the New York Times in my family. And so yeah. it was when I was like in Florida in West Palm Beach at my grandpa's condo and they would get like USA Today yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And that's when I could. I got like King uh, uh, Prince Valiant. <laughs> my, I didn't get any. I we, remember we got like Family Circus, like yeah. uh, oh, which Family is basically Circus. Just, I knew that that I rolled my eyes at that when I every was like single seven. one is praying about your dead pet. Yeah, I mean basically, fuck that, <laughs> fuck Family Circus. I hate that. Fuck comic. Family Circus. No, I really do. Like I have a I have a vehemence because I read all the Sunday comics. We also got the Sunday New York Times in my house too. But what I hated, I read a lot of. Um, newspaper comics as a kid and then like I kept tabs on like what was happening regular comics like I collected every issue of the death and rebirth of Superman I have a couple of like duplicate like very oh, wow. oh yeah me too They're all back home in Jersey but with the um, different emblems for the different colors yeah uh, with the plastic with the cardboard cutout cover and then you open it up into the paper pages your, uh, who was your pick the eradicator me too I he had the, the best costume he had the best costume he had this Wolverine like attitude towards yeah. the world like I just I loved it. I never believed for a second that the cyborg was the real Superman. No, fuck no. He didn't. Yeah. Die, he didn't die that horribly. He fucking got hit and yeah. went to a coma. Superboy, like, yeah. Superboy, I always thought was fine. Superboy was like he, like I get it. Okay, he's a clone of Superman from Superman's DNA. That's cool. But his story arc, his universe, like his Superboy universe, is so like glossy and like teen beady and yeah. like and L and I'm sorry, but like sunset strip esque. He was symptomatic. Like, yeah, yeah. Of the nineties of like not cool enough. Put a jacket on. Exa him. Yeah. He's, he's, but Poochie listen, that works, didn't it? It, it, did. Did. it did. He had a cool leather jacket. He had a cool leather jacket and he had a pretty successful, like yeah. comic, comic book title for and a while. Steel was also a cool character. I really dug steel. Steel is the, was the coolest one out of all of them. And he got so under, like I, I don't, I'm not paying they attention. They always fucking do that. They, uh, it's not enough that like he deserved, like if they were to reboot Steel, maybe they are. I don't pay attention to DC Comics now, but like if they are, like especially now in the era when like Ta-Nehisi Coates is writing Black Panther, like Steel would be such an amazing character to yeah. read now. But then on top of that, he got that crappy movie adaptation with Shaquille God, that, Well, that killed his momentum <laughs> so quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the time, like when you were growing up, right? We were the same age. So yeah. when we were coming around our adolescence, comics were in a state of upheaval because Batman got his back broken. Wolverine lost his adamantium claws and Superman died. And then there was, and then wow. there was the Spider-Man clone saga. Yeah. Spider-Man clone. So everything that we knew, this is the reason why comics are in such a safe space now where it's like, we have to have Peter Parker and Bruce Wayne and all these things because basically kids are reaching for their fuzzy, the, the, the Gen Xers who were, who were kids at that they're reaching time. for their fuzzy blankets and being like, well, I need this. Well, but this is why I mean, this is the conversation we were having about The Force Awakens last night where I felt like we needed something. I know it's really safe and I know it was like hitting all these notes that. But I really liked it. <clears throat> no, I loved it. Yeah. But, and I'm saying like the 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 grownups needed it more than the children and the grownups needed to see a Star Wars that reminded them of good times. They needed. Yeah. And you know what? Their security After blankets. the year we had. I can watch The Force Awakens a few more times. Yes, please. Hell yes. Um, um, uh, I want to. I want to turn to your uh, books that you brought with us because I want to yes, make sure that we get to these. So tell yes. us about these books. Well, uh, to give a little bit of a backstory to both these books. Um, so, uh, just up front, these are my books of slam poetry. 
Oh, that what? I wrote through middle school and all of high school while I was coping with uh, being, to quote David Bowie, being a teenage suicide for five or six years living in Haddonfield, New Jersey, pretty much. Uh, rock and roll suicide. Excuse me. Sorry, David. Rock and roll suicide. Okay, um, we've, so, so one of these books is tie-dye on the front. Yes, it is. For, for the listeners. Yes. And uh, we got to hear some of these poems. And then, is this a Jackson and then, Pollock cover? This is a Jackson Pollock cover that I purchased out of the gift shop at MoMA. <laughs> In the summer of 2001, These are this contains poetry, sketches, and journal entries of a pre-9-11 world in the weeks leading up to 9-11 when I was living in New York City for a summer. Jesus Christ. Um, So basically, I so we moved to Jersey in 96 when I was still in middle school, Mm -hmm. and it was a rough year of adjustment because— Well, it's already a rough year regardless of whether you move. It's already a rough year of whether you move, and I was moving from— being in like the city proper Philadelphia to being in the suburbs. And I already kind of had, I had a weird relationship and concept of the suburbs to begin with um, just because of stuff that had been going on within my family and all this Mm -hmm. other stuff. And so, and when, and I really wanted so desperately to be liked and accepted by um, the kids in Haddonfield that, Mm -hmm. excuse me, that I, uh, I basically said and did anything to try to get them to like me, and it all failed miserably. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Alyssa just gave me some of her iced coffee. It's good. Mm. Here's a shout-out to Blackwood Coffee on Sunset. Dude, right across the street. That's delicious. Yeah. Um, and so going into my second year at Haddonfield, when it was pretty apparent that, like, okay, I'm not going to be the Zach Morris of Haddonfield, New Jersey. So sorry, and, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> And okay, so I guess I like watching football, but I don't necessarily want to be on the football team anymore. So I and I also really like doing theater and doing drama clubs. So I guess I'll get into writing poetry. I mean, that's the natural next step, I guess. Yeah, using that to express the angst of my teen soul. And that's basically what ended up happening. Great. I got really into writing poetry, and I started reading um, the Beat Generation writers like Allen Ginsberg and Jack Kerouac. Uh-huh. I started wearing a lot of black and listening to Marilyn Manson and David Bowie <laughs> you and just, Nine Inch Nails. You were just really honing into a brand. I It's probably one of the few times in my life I can recall where I was like, I really leaned into being on brand as like an artsy, gothy type and whatnot. So... You got to get to this poetry, Matt. Okay. You can't put it off any longer. All right. Um, I'm just going to, okay. So uh, first question that I, I want to ask you guys. So there's so there's the tie-dye book. This is a uh, reflection of middle school, Matt, right here. Mm-hmm. Um, this tie-dye book I gave to my grandmother as a uh, Hanukkah gift uh, many, many years ago. And mm-hmm. then after she died, I got this book back. Um, and then this Jackson Pollock book is high school Matt Freed. So do you want to hear middle school Matt Freed? So this is 15-year-old Matt Freed, and this is 18-year-old Matt we gotta Freed. We've yeah, got to start with 15-year-old for sure. That's when, gotta, that's when the wounds are deeper and yes, there's less self-awareness. So yes, let's go absolutely. with that. Absolutely. Okay. I, just, a, just a quick preface. I'm going to give a pretty straightforward line read of uh, this <laughs> poem just because <laughs> – it's something that I purposefully don't read or revisit a lot for a reason. This is why you're doing it. Yes, absolutely. And, um, okay, so 
there's a title to this collection. The title of this collection is A Voice in a Crowd Full of Silence. Oh, yeah. Get it. A collection of neo-beat generation writings and other poems. Written by Matt Freed, there's a quote by myself that I've included (laughs) on the title page of this. That quote is, my generation is a whole, but I am an individual. Nice. We're pursuing the same things in uh, middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. This poem is entitled Baseline. <clears throat> For full context, I would like to also write that, uh, I'd also like to note that I wrote this poem when I was 15 years old, and I had never had a sip of alcohol, smoked a single cigarette, or smoked or ingested a single drug at this point in my life. All right. Baseline by Matt Freed. <clears throat> I got stoned at the bar last night. <laughs> Let him finish. Tim Leary is dead and I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Tune in, turn off, and drop out. Whatever, man. Three in the morning and I got a good reading of Howl. All I need. Writing on this piece of paper is a personal hazard because not only does it hold the meaning of life in the grains, but it has got a cute waitress's phone number on it. (laughs) (laughs) For all you grammar nerds out there, waitress is also written with a possessive S and not just the apostrophe and then moving on with my life. Thanks for that. No problem. I really wanted to live journal up this situation. All right. People stare wide-eyed with their mouths shut as I pine over this writing on an old cocktail table that was in fashion back in 63. <laughs> Six, like you were there. Yeah, he was there. Yeah. My father would have been 13 in 1963, <laughs> by the way. The average person is 15% logical, 12% hysterical, 20% heterosexual, 35% homophobic or homosexual, whichever you want. And the other 18% is pure bullshit. (laughs) Nice. Nice. I mean, you're not wrong. You're making valid points. So now I sit listening to the old B.B. King record in my living room. Something happens. What the fuck? Turn that shit up. It's the dead, man. A car pulls into into a Texaco at 11 o'clock in the evening. (laughs) Pumping gas. Wicked satanic airplanes fly overhead with all of our enemies, Gingrich, Republicans, Satan, Hitler, and my principal from sixth grade. My hair is a battle, once flowing, and once flowing and wavy, that of Jim Morrison. It has now been cut and controlled. That of James Dean. Sorry. So that's baseline. Oh my god! That, oh man. <laughs> I can't believe that you've been <sighs> holding this at bay for so long. Uh, it's so amazing. God damn it. It's so amazing. You, but like, where is the Texaco that you're talking about? It's it, just somewhere yeah, in the middle distance of your mind. Just somewhere out there. I wrote this, so I, I actually wrote this poem when my family was was visiting San Francisco for the first time, and it was like literally two days after I had graduated eighth grade, so the summer before I went into high school. So I wrote this when I was 18 years old, and we were staying at an embassy suites in like Monterey Bay. You were doing fine. Yeah, I was doing fine. And like the Texaco that I was talking about was a Texaco gas station that 
we used to stop at with our rental car to gas up before we would drive into San Francisco every single day. So that's the actual Texaco that I'm talking about. Oh, I know, but it's it's great. Like, I have to say, and kids' brains are so good at absorbing a voice like that. And I remember doing projects when I was, uh, you know, in my early teens where I I had read a lot of Hemingway, so then I tried to write in the style of Hemingway, yes. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think you really captured it. Thank you. <laughs> I, I really, I would like to hear another one. Oh, boy. Okay, yeah, sure. Yes. From the same collection? From the same collection. From the same collection. Okay. Yes. So um, let me see what I can find here. See, the way that this is done is that there's actual, so the pages of this are actually papyrus. So what I did to prepare this, oh, this for amazing. my grandmother, who I gave this to as a gift. Oh, I see. <sighs> you put the poetry in it first, and then you gave it to your grandmother. Yes. I thought you gave her the blank book, no. and then she passed away, and you took it back and put poetry no, in it. Okay. No, 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 no. What I did was was that instead of writing it out by hand, I, I printed a bunch of these poems off of my computer and then cut them out and then um, laid the lines of poetry and whatnot in here using double stick tape. So some of the pages stick together in this thing. Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you. So this is it's like, like you made a published book. Yeah, her. basically this is, you could say that this is my first book ahead, <laughs> ahead of the one that I published more recently. Indeed. What's the name of that book you published? The Survivalist by Matt Free. You can please. get it on Amazon. Yeah. Do it. Oh, by the way, I, there's a total like last bit to this other poem that I completely missed at the very. Oh, very you end fi- you didn't finish baseline. No, I did not finish baseline because he was distracted by your howling. Yeah. Um, Appropriate. Yes. Thank you. All right, so I'll read the next poem that is right after baseline, which is entitled San Francisco. Um, maybe something worth noting right now is that when I wrote San Francisco, I wrote it by. Um, hitting justify a line center in um, my cop in my 1997 copy of Microsoft Word. So everything is meant to be written like some free form bullshitty Jim Carroll poem right totally. now, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at this time when I was trying to be a poet, I had no concept of line structure of um, or of the fact of how maybe poem, maybe poets uh, literally like, physically align their poems for a very deliberate reason. I was just like, that looks cool. I'm going to appropriate that sure, for myself. Sure, I did that. T- I mean, I did that too. You know, like this is where the line break is. It just, it makes a nice silhouette on the page. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So this is entitled San Francisco. Okay. Crack of sun, break of wind, cry of seagulls. These streets Ginsburg and Kerouac had walked, had walked, now walked by restaurateurs. These streets the Grateful Dead had walked, now walked by honest panhandlers. Place of broken stereotypes, place of million and one Chinamen. <laughs> uh, well, no, wait, go forward. Yes. Forward. Punks on skateboards, fat hicks in race cars, magical city, beautiful girls, lost sexual virginity. Play on guitar junkie, be the Garcia. Jim Morrison had Paris, I have San Francisco. <laughs> Janice Joplin ain't dead, man. Only in your minds. Minds! <laughs> Get me my wine and pizza and be happy. Ride the cable car and fall in love with a girl on the street. Tube socks and all. David Bowie was right. We're screwed. Pass the Pepsi. <laughs> nice! Uh, okay. Give me my wine and pizza! <laughs> She's crying. She's got tears in her eyes. Honestly, Matt, yeah. this is a very good, 
Very good. It Thank is you. like I couldn't even write a better parody of a beat poem. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I know you were taking it seriously when I was you wrote taking it. it. Very seriously. I was a very serious fifteen-year-old. You know, it re- I wrote this poem. It reminds me. I don't. I, don't, I can't find it, but I'll find it. Um, I wrote it when I was uh, at this summer writing program at Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my white privilege is just screaming right now, but. Um, <laughs> I was, it was between sophomore and junior years of high school. And I wrote this poem called dust bunnies. And, um, it was the same, like I had never had a sip of alcohol in my life, had never smoked a cigarette, um, had had maybe one kiss in my life. Uh, and I just remember the first two lines of the poem were dark and bruised. We wait cloaked (laughs) in a false film of younger beauty. And this is just reminding me of that straight up. God to, to have, to have the pure passion of being a 15-year-old again, but to have it with the sense of irony that is being a person in your early 30s. That's mm. like the perfect, that's kind of like the perfect amalgamation of what you want in a piece of writing. Like you want somebody who is just so um, unafraid and shameless to put anything down on the page, but you also want to have a strong enough sense of humor to just be like, this is ridiculous, but I'm just going to lean into how ridiculous but this it's, is. No, truly, that's that that's the sweet spot to hit, and I'm wondering about that all the time now because every day, every day, I'm thinking about how prolific I used to be and how I would just write my feelings with such abandon, and I really don't anymore because, because my critical voice... Uh, at least when I'm sober, is so it stops me from getting a thought onto the page, you yeah. know, because I'm like, oh, well, that just sounds whatever. But if I think that being able to harness that freedom of expression while still having the adult brain, like yeah. observing it, and that's the sweet spot. I I learned so I wrote a I wrote a pilot this year while I was I was getting my book published, and the interesting thing that I had to kind of be reminded as I, I wrote about like six or seven different drafts of, of the script before I got it to a draft that I was comfortable with. And it mm-hmm. took me like a full calendar year to just mm-hmm. write it and get it ready. And a thing that I had to sort of, I was reminded by in this process is just that idea of like, just put out on the page, whatever it is that's in your brain, because like, if it's meant to stick around, it will stick around. But if it's not working, then the act of getting it out on the page then clears room in your head to for the kind, next thing to come in, right? And to yeah. coalesce, and to and to maybe coalesce or find a, a better entryway into the ideas and the characters and everything that mm-hmm. you really want to be writing. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it was the same thing with Charlie Brown Apocalypse. Like, if I showed you the draft that you guys did of Charlie Brown Apocalypse, and then I showed you the very first draft of Charlie Brown Apocalypse, they are worlds apart as pieces of writing altogether. But it's tough too because as you said like you do have that criticism in you and you you are constantly thinking about the people who you're comparing yourself into in your head and you're trying not to get yourself overwhelmed or um uh, excited um by the thought of anything having to be good enough or not good enough yet and a lot of it just really is just keeping your head down and just kind of pushing through no matter how much you hate whatever it is you're writing at that present absolutely moment. yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah 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 um well, Matt, um, yes. I wish that we could read all this poetry and, uh, you know, you're, you're deeply attached to this show, so I'm sure you'll be back. But yes. I, um, we've come to the point in this uh, talk where I will be giving you a gift. Oh, boy. So, um, <clears throat> I love gifts. Oh, well, you know the deal with these gifts. Uh, they are um, pieces of detritus uh, mm-hmm. that would otherwise be in the dumpster, but I had to hold <laughs> on to them so they could have a new life now. So for you, Matt, from my collection of pogs. 
Bad bugs. Yeah, it's this pog that has uh, a an ace of spade card on the front, wow. and it's not just a regular pog. It's shaped like a fucking blade, and yeah. in fact, on the back, it just says blade, 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 <laughs> blade, 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 a million times. And um, yeah, I know your shape at that time. What popular shape in the nineties? Well, they it's it's streamlined, so it can like sail faster. Yes. Not that anyone. Yeah. I never played pogs; I just collected them. I never knew how to play. Yeah, I did have some really cool like hologram slammers, but um, I know you have a pretty minimal space, so this is kind of small. It won't take up too much room, and maybe it can inspire you <laughs> Thank for you. something. That's, I think it will. I actually used to collect pogs also, but I never, like, and I I had friends who collected pogs with me, but we never actually played pogs because no one knew how to play pogs because no one, because it was just a marketing gimmick, I feel yeah, like. Totally. We need to find a pog expert. A professional a pog, pog player. A pog expert. But uh, guys, how big were your slammers? How how thick did you go? How thick did you you ride with those I slammers? Did, I mean, my thickest one was not that thick, but it was metal, so it was heavy. It had yeah. a really nice weight to it. It was like a mine was like a zinc, and it was like maybe a l- the radius of it was a little bit bigger than the regular pogs. Oh, it wasn't regulation size. Isn't that cheating? Oh, it's been it's been well over twenty years. I haven't thought much into the. We gotta get we gotta get a pog spurt on the bitch. Yeah, seat. exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, Matt Freed. Um, uh, anything that you would like to plug? Do you want to say a word about your book? Or yes. Anything? Yes. Uh, if you're still with the interview this long, please. Um, and if you're looking for something fun to read, I would highly recommend my new novel, The Survivalist by Matt Freed, which is available <laughs> on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle. And it's available on iBooks. Uh, it is a breakup comedy. It is about a failed rock musician who falls into a love triangle with his ex-fiance and his new girlfriend, so he develops an imaginary friendship with Bruce Springsteen. And so fitting and perfect. They go on adventures around New York City together to help him get his life together and figure out which girl he wants to be with at the end of all this mishigas. This has got to be a movie. This has got to be a movie. I mean, that's why I'm in Hollywood, man. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it happens. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's directed by Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith, please don't take that as a slight. I would love it if you were attached to one of my projects. Oh, my God. Please attach Kevin Smith to one of your projects. Yeah. There's so many, like, you guys hit on so many um, pieces of nostalgia for me at the top of the show. And I have to say, like, Kevin Smith was a huge Absolutely. chunk of my life Mine in too. high school that we didn't even get to. But we can save that for another time. But There's always time. There's yeah. a there's a, um, a silent Bob uh, figurine, uh, action figure. Courtesy of out, Josh Krebs. Courtesy of Josh Krebs. Mm. Hanging out on our bookshelf right now. He's apparently rebooting um, Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. I'm totally down. Yeah, because like I, I was reading that like Clerks 3 is not going to happen now because somebody had to back out of the cast. And then Mallrats, they kept trying to like pitch the sequel and it just got turned into a TV show. So I think he's developed, he's redeveloping it as a TV show right now. But yeah, he was just like, yeah, so we're going to do Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back next. And it's like, Great. Just tell me when and where to be. I'll, here's I'll my be there. fifteen dollars. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> awesome. Matt Freed, thanks so much for sitting with us in the bitch seat. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Phil. Man. Yeah. And uh, if y'all still listening out there, you know the deets. March twenty fourth. That's right. Seven Nerd PM. Seventy five twenty two Sunset Boulevard. Be here. Be here or be somewhere else that you care about. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not gonna judge you if you decided that you really needed to take a bath that night. Yeah. I understand. Baths are essential sometimes. They are. They are. And um, I guess that's it, guys. That's it, Eat guys. a Pop-Tart and uh, treasure, treasure what, what got, got you, you here. here.
Hello, I'm Ben. As always, I'm Paul. And we're from Juicy Reviews. We have a podcast where we like to talk and review movies, maybe bring on a wacky character from that movie, and always play some games. We like some games. I actually brought a clip, Paul. Wait, you brought a clip? I brought a clip. Can I listen? Yeah. I look mad young, right? Yeah, yeah. you look young in the movie, and... Uh, I hooked up with a bunch of the young chicks at the movie. Oh, you know what? You know what? It's not illegal if you're a police officer. And, and, I believe that, And this yeah. is something I wanted to bring up since you're here. Sure. Tell us about all the hookups on set. Oh, my God. Who's Un- hooking up with who? Yeah. So, all right. So, like, there's, like, these, like, Asian girls in the movie. Right. They play, I, the twins, right? I triple kissed them. Okay, um, a little triple kiss. Triple that way I didn't get confused if it was Rachel or Rebecca. Yeah, 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 exactly. I was like, oh, whatever, and I triple kissed them. Was and was that offset or on camera, or, and they got cut out maybe? Or Oh, uh, I didn't do it on camera for sure. Okay. I would never, because, you know what I mean, That's I could get in a lot of trouble for that. I don't, I don't know how old they are. I could never tell with them. But uh, who else? Let me see. Cecily, the girl. Yeah, I cho- Cecily I, I chalked her. You chalked her? What, <laughs> I chalked what is, her. What is chalking? That's when you kind of forcibly kiss someone. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production.